With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And today I am joined by Matt Corey for episode 22. Uh, Matt, how's it going? Uh, doing good, doing good. Just turning off my cell phone ringer so I don't, because uh, you know I'm really popular. I get lots of phone calls. Well, you uh, you are figuring out all of your uh, your little league plans, so that is uh, that is to be expected. So we'll forgive you for that. I appreciate. Uh, for all of you who are, are unfamiliar with Matt Corey, he is a regular guest of ours. He uh, also writes at PP Boston and Vice Sports. And you can find him at his excellent Twitter handle, at MattyMatty2000. Uh, it does seem like it's been a long time since we've had you on the show because, uh, you know, the rotation got muddled a little bit with Ben and I traveling. And then, um, you know, all sorts of things led to about a month and a half since you've been on. So uh, certainly a ton to talk about and um, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, Let's get right into it. Well, uh, Red Sox did something that uh, they've been doing too often for most people who watch the team. Uh, last night, uh, they lost the 2-1 to one game to the Padres, who uh, aren't very good. They're the last place club, one of the worst clubs in baseball. Um, this was particularly disturbing because it was coming off of a uh, one nothing loss to the Athletics, where Eddie Rodriguez uh, nearly threw a no-hitter, and they still lost that game. So um, with the division right there for the taking... Um, these one-run losses are becoming increasingly frustrating. Um, and there's this whole narrative brewing out there that the Red Sox are terrible in one-run games. Uh, 
bad against weak opponents, and possibly even unclutch. So what we're going to do today on the show is look at all these things and kind of distill out what's really true about some of these narratives that have been out there and, and what isn't. So the first one I want to tackle is the Red Sox record in one-run games because, to be honest, it really hasn't been that bad. Um, so far this year, the Red Sox are 16-20 and 20, uh, in one-run games. To give you an idea of where some of the other teams that they're competing against in the division are in those particular situations, Toronto's actually worse. They're at 15-22 and 22 in one-run games. Uh, Baltimore is slightly better at 15-13, and 13, so winning record there. Uh, Tampa Bay is terrible in all types of games, so they are... Uh, not surprisingly, very bad at 11 and 20. Uh, so, the Yankees you know are the only team in the division that has a really good record in that regard, though. Uh, the the crazy thing about Tampa Bay is they've been really good this second half. Like they were just horrific in the beginning. But um, I actually don't even have their stats in front of me. But I looked at I looked at it the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, like they're they're actually kind of the team we expected them to be uh, in the second half. Yeah, you know, I, I always thought that they had more talent than they were showing this year, so I guess that's not all that surprising to me. That that club seemed to have a lot more um, in terms of pitching and good young hitting um, than they sort of showed on the field for most of the year. And one of the big parts of that team performing and actually killing the Red Sox too, which isn't necessarily true, but the Red Sox have played them enough times that – there have been three or four losses that certainly could have gone the Red Sox way. Yeah. Uh, and I think in at least two of those contests, Evan Longoria was solely responsible uh, their lone, for those losses. You know, he's their lone really good player. I mean, uh, yeah. position player. But um, Well, Kiermaier's yeah. pretty good, too. Uh, he's really, really good defensively. I don't think he's a great hitter. No, but when he's, we're going off of like win probability added to his team, he's still... I think you still have to regard him as a solid plus. Well, so we can use that. Oh, yeah, he's definitely a plus. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd much rather have Jackie Bradley. Uh, but um, but in any case, uh, as far as the Rays go, um, their first half, according to – I'm not sure where Baseball Reference breaks this up. If it's literally – I think it has, it has to be the All-Star break because of the numbers. It is, yeah. Okay, so the, the quote-unquote first half before the All-Star break, the Rays went 34 and 54. Um and the second half, they've gone uh, 24 and 24, which is not great. But they've actually outscored their opponents by 32 plus 21, which is 53. So um, they've way underperformed uh, their Pythagorean record in that respect. So in any case, um, they are a tougher out now than than they were back then. I think it's it's pretty safe to say that. Yeah, I would certainly agree with you on that regard. Um what was interesting, though, is sorting through all of these uh, one-run records through baseball because uh, a few different places have that listed out for every single team under expanded standings, so you can easily find that information online. I have trouble believing that one-run game records is all that indicative of how good a team is, especially when I'm looking at the records of some of these teams like the Chicago Cubs are 21 and 20 in one run games and yep. St. Louis is 20 and 20 in one run games um, the Dodgers also leading their division 19 and 18 it seems like you know by and large 
it's not that big of a deal. And then you have a team like Philadelphia, who's one of the worst teams in baseball at 25 and 18 uh, in these contests. So I think people are putting way too much stock in this as a huge weakness for the Red Sox. Um, I think that as we get into the other two things that we'll talk about, the unclutchness uh, of the team and their record against weaker opponents, um, this might be the thing that I'm least worried about out of those three things. Um, yes, on the whole, I absolutely agree. On the whole, uh, you know, the Red Sox, uh, what, you know, problem, quote unquote, with one run games is really, uh, not, not much of a problem, at least I would say statistically. I mean, uh, you know, studies have shown the, um, you know, the way teams perform in one run games is essentially random. Um, I say essentially because I think there are some indicators for how you perform in one run games. Like you can improve the way you, uh, you know, the way you play close games with a good bullpen. Um, my guess just, uh, is a guess, but you know, if you have a really strong defense, that probably improves it. Um, but that said, um, it's not necessarily something that, uh, you know, great teams don't perform well in one-run one games any better than you would expect them to, um, uh, i.e. around 500. Um, the, uh, you know, the Yankees are 22-9, and nine, uh, and, and they're six games over 500 right now. Um, you know, you mentioned the Phillies. That was, that's the other... Um, you know, sort of easy one. Uh, they're 25 and 18. Um, you know, the Arizona is 19 and 12. There's nothing special about these teams that makes them quote unquote good in one run games. Um, I would say as far as the Red Sox go, you know, we've, uh, certainly here on the podcast at BP Boston and, and just about everywhere else, uh, you know, talked uh, about their bullpen, uh, till we're blue in the face. Um, and I think, you know, probably with good reason considering how good the rest of the team is. But uh, if they're not very strong in one-run games and, and you want to figure out a way to improve the, uh, improve the team in that respect, I would say improving the bullpen would be the way to do that. Um, you know, and the Red Sox, there are still some, some ways that that can happen um, outside of sort of, you know, random Matt Barnes improvement. Uh, you know, Koji's coming back. That that could be helpful. Uh, it probably won't hurt them. Um, and uh, you know, you mentioned Joe Kelly. I, I can't recall if you mentioned Joe Kelly on air or just somewhere else. But uh... <laughs> we did talk about him potentially coming back and being an impact player down the stretch last week. Yeah, um, and, and, he, and we'll uh... get into his performance last night later in the show. But you know, certainly. Certainly there we have something that could potentially be a boon to the team. Uh, maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, nothing is certain with, with Joe Kelly. That's No, that's Joe Kelly's sure. middle name is maybe. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, I thought it was suck. <laughs> I guess it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it is sort of uh, interesting to look at one-run records and, and you know, go, okay, well uh, – you know, if this really isn't indicative of talent, then you can look at a team like the Texas Rangers and go, uh, well, yeah, they're 82 and 56, which is the best record in the American League, but they're also 30 and nine in one run games. Um, they've, 
the word luck is thrown around a lot and I'm, you know, it, it, in casual conversation, I guess, I guess it's okay. Um, but you know, if you look at their Pythagorean record, if you look at their record in one run games, it, it doesn't seem like the Rangers are nearly as good a team as, uh, you know, their, their regular record indicates. I think um, we'd agree with that though, based on the play on the field. And when you break down their roster, they've had a lot of guys who, um, have had, and we'll get into this more as we go on. I don't want to give away too much of the clutch stuff that we'll talk about, but like Adrian Beltre has been one of the most clutch players in all of baseball this year, and they've had a lot of players that have had extremely clutch performances. I believe their team as a whole rates as the most clutch hitting team in the league. I and, can't. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and and so I'm just. It's it's hard to distill out really how much of that is is luck and how much isn't. But I think the Pythagorean record there that you referenced really does show a little bit of a better snapshot of what their true talent level is as a team rather than this semi-fluky, extremely good run in one-run games. And the fact that they've even had that many one-run games in itself might be a little indicative of their team talent as well. Yes. Uh, the one caveat to that is, uh, you know, the additions they made at the at the trade deadline. Um, you know, Jonathan Lucroy is for real. Um, they added somebody else who's good, too, and I'm blanking on who it is. It's not Carlos Gomez. Uh, Carlos Beltran, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, thank <laughs> the you. better Carlos. The better Carlos. The one Isn't that, that amazing to say, considering Gomez was like uh, an MVP caliber uh, player for a number of years and is still relatively young and Beltran's like a thousand and still better. Well, but Beltran was really bad last year, which, you know, I guess I think was because he was injured, injured most of the year. But, uh, but yeah, last year we, we probably, if you'd said the good Carlos, you might've been referring to Carlos Gomez. Um, so yeah, it changes. <laughs> it's baseball. It's weird. <laughs> do you, do you put any more stock in a team's record in extra innings? more than you do in one-run performance, or do you kind of lump that in as very similar contextually? I I, th- I think I put a little bit more stock in a team's extra innings record because I think managers today tend to manage that a little bit more aggressively. Um, it's an interesting question, and, and I don't – I imagine there is an empirical answer. Uh, I think I've used that word right, but I might not have. Um, <laughs> But I, I believe there is an, a, an answer um, that is correct, uh, but I don't know what it is. My, my guess, though, is that it probably is mostly statistical noise because especially when you're talking – like if you look at the Red Sox, they've played, what is it, 130 games at this point. Ten of them have gone into extra innings. Right. Um, you know, and you know, when you're talking about how uh, you know, the uh, te- teams um, – you know, basically re- regress to a 500 record um, in one run games. Uh, it's, it, you know, you're talking about 10, 10 games. Most of those are probably one run games. It, it's it, my guess is that most of it's just, it's, it's just sort of uh, randomness, o- almost like with any 10 game sample uh, of, of the season. I'll tell you what has me questioning that though, is, you know, three of the managers that I'll take as, as uh, three of the best managers in the game, and I don't think many people would argue this point. We got Bochi out in San Francisco, Madden in Chicago, and Buck in Baltimore. Uh, all three of those teams have winning records in extra innings. 
Baltimore is five and two over that span. Uh, the Cubs are eight and four, uh, and San Francisco is nine and seven. So, um, and that is different from how some of the other division leading teams and some of those that have notoriously bad managers, um, by by historical standpoint, I mean we talk about people complaining about Dusty Baker's usage of pretty much everybody, um, and his record this year has been four and six in extra inning games. Um, the Dodgers' record five and seven. So th- there's a little bit more there for me to kind of scratch my head at. Uh, okay, I, I I I'm not really seeing it, but um, but okay. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're here to start the discussion on it. So there's, there's definitely something there that we need to do a little bit more research into. But let's get into this whole notion of the Red Sox performing poorly against uh, bad teams. So, so far this year, the Red Sox have played, you know, a, a ton of opponents. I don't know how many exactly. Um, but they only have had a losing record against the Chicago White Sox the Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, the L.A. Dodgers, uh, and the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, Two of those clubs that I mentioned, they've played just a few times. Um, Toronto, they're 6-7 and against this year, uh, so that's pretty close in its own right. Um, The Kansas City Royals, they're 2-4 and against, but, you know, they're a World Series team from the last two years, so... Um, I I think they play a particularly tough brand of baseball for the Red Sox as well. Um, and what I'm noticing here is that there's not a whole lot to back up the fact that the Red Sox don't beat up on teams with losing records because uh, they've done so against teams like Atlanta, uh, against Colorado, uh, you know, teams like the LA Angels. They're four and three against, so I guess there is a little bit of a weakness there. Um, they don't dominate these bad opponents, but they've certainly still been winning the season series against them. So I'm wondering where you think this notion that they can't perform against sub-500 teams come from. Uh, I think it's mostly, uh, you know, selective memory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's easy to look at um, individual games like, like last night's. You know, and, uh, oh, cat, don't scratch me. I'm trying to talk. Um, and, you know, get discouraged. Um, but it, it, it's all, it's all so, so random. Uh, you know, on a, on a, on a single game basis, on a small, uh, you know, sample size. I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, not giving you a lot of good information, but, uh, but I keep coming back to that. Like, you know, the home run that, um, who hit the two-run homer yesterday for the for the um, Padres? Gun, not Gonzalez. I can't I can't think of his name. Um, um, I'm blanking on it. Right Rosales. Now. Uh, Rosales. Um, yeah, that's it. Who, who doesn't hit home runs, by the way? But you know who got a meatball and it it made it over Brock uh, Brock Holt's glove by what six inches? Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, bounced off of the hands of the guy right behind uh, uh, the first row and into the head of the woman sitting next to him. Um, so that was funny. Um, but, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about a gust of wind changing that from a, a two run homer to an out. And then you're talking about a Red Sox win. Um, so 
I mean, would it be nice for the Red Sox to go and beat up on the A's like, uh, or beat up on other teams like they've beaten up on the A's? Uh, yeah, it, it would be great, but um, that uh, that's obviously you know not really realistic. Um, so. Baseball is one of those sports though that you can't expect the same success against bad teams as you can in other sports like hockey or like football or anything because there is so much. Uh, randomness from day to day and fluctuation in individual player performance, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely correct and well said. Um, so while we've been chatting, I, I did a little uh, table here, um, and um, boy, I don't know what team that is. Uh, let me see. Uh, oh, Arizona. Uh, there we go. Um, so Arizona, Minnesota, the Chicago White Sox, the Oakland A's. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, the San Diego Padres, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Anaheim Angels. All those teams are uh, are terrible as far as the season goes, more or less, right? Yep. Yep. All have terrible records. If not last place, they're right next to them. Okay. Um, let's see. I believe they are actually all in last place. Yeah, they're all they're all close. Well, they can't. I don't think they can all be in last place. I don't think the White Sox are they. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is they're all terrible, and the yeah, Red Sox so far. Sorry. Uh, White Sox are second to last in their division. Okay, there you go. Yep. Because they're in the same division as the Twins, so they couldn't possibly be last. Um, the Red Sox have gone thirty-one and twenty against all those teams, um, which is a six oh eight winning percentage. Um, which let's see. 608 times 162. That's a 98 win pace. That's pretty good. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think you could look at the Red Sox and go, this is a strong team in a number of areas. Um, they've, you know, they maybe improved over the course of the season based on, uh, you know, adding Benintendi, uh, adding Pomerantz, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but they're not a 98 win team. Right. I don't not I don't think. I don't think so either. We haven't seen that sort of dominance. We see that reflected in um the weakness in the bullpen, which we'll discuss yeah. a little bit more in the future. And then the first half weakness of the starting pitching, no matter how well the starters have been playing uh since August started, you know, we still have those four months to account for where starting pitching was just a giant question mark for this club. Right. Um, and, and the starting pitching has, has come around. Um, yeah, it's great now. Yeah. I, I wrote a piece at BP Boston about how, uh, you know, provided they stay healthy, the, you know, the, the rotation is actually looking pretty strong. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think that's not as much of an issue. Uh, we can talk about, you know, how Stephen Wright, uh, you know, his injury, uh, potentially impacts things. Um, and I think that's on our agenda, so we, we may do that. But in any case, uh, getting back to this uh, or finishing this up, the um, the Red Sox record against uh, bad teams is actually really good. Um, they've been really good against bad teams, and my guess is that they will, uh, you know, win uh, one or two more against San Diego uh, today and tomorrow. I guess we'll know that by the time this comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, please don't let them get swept by the Padres. <laughs> that would be a disaster, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but in any case, I, I think that uh, I, I think you know if, if you look at all their sort of uh, micro records against uh, against bad teams, against, you know one run games, extra innings, etc. I, I think they are uh, you know a, a good team, demonstrably a good team. 
um, and not a great team. And it, everything it, kind of leads you back to that, um, uh, you know, to that that kind of conclusion. Yeah, if this were an episode of MythBusters, so far we would be uh, 0-2 with uh, these things panning out. So uh, false that they are bad against bad opponents, and also false that they are a uh, demonstrably more worse team in one-run games than really any other club uh, that is in contention. So, uh, that, it, Can I throw one more thing in there, Jake? Sure, sure. So. Uh, you brought up something with the Orioles before um, about how they are, are have been better in one in one run games. I think um, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. Um, so in extra are, innings as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what you said. Is extra innings. Um, so I think that uh, the when you're comparing teams over the course of um, you know uh, of season stats, it's easy to you know just say the things that we've said. However, when you're talking about uh, a five or seven game matchup, um, you know, the Red Sox versus the Orioles, the Red Sox versus the Blue Jays, um, then you can be a lot more, I think, specific. And there's certainly a lot of randomness in a small matchup like that. But um, I, I think you can you can give one one team an advantage, you know, in a bullpen uh, kind of setting like that, uh, and that that can that can be a, a little more a little more legitimate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to get into this clutch and unclutch stuff because I think you did a really good job in your recent article explaining the Red Sox pitching woes in high leverage situations. Um, Fangraphs has a couple really cool stats out uh, regarding uh, teams' clutchness. They can measure the clutchness of um, both pitching and hitting and individual pitchers and hitters. Um and this is basically uh, a stat that has to do with leverage index, which quantifies sort of the pressure that is in any given situation. Also uses win probability added, the change in win expectancy from one plate appearance to the next. Close games, crucial situations like that are measured. Um, so essentially, you know, it's not going to weigh a blowout the same as it will um, a one-run game or a tie game with two men on and you know, a men, uh, men in scoring position, things like that. Um, so they, they essentially divide those two to get something called context neutral wins. Um, without getting too crazy here into specifics, um, we're basically trying to figure out exactly how well individuals and teams have performed, uh, in situations where the pressure is turned up and where, uh, teams' win probability will go up if they do perform. Uh, and in these situations, the Red Sox have been uh, really, really uh, terrible in terms of um, pitching and hitting. And individually, um, there's one guy who, when I sorted through these stats and found out that he was among the worst clutch hitters in all of baseball, I just laughed because I've been screaming at my TV about how unclutched this particular player was uh, for pretty much the entire season, and it reared its head again yesterday. So um, this w- this will be <coughs> a really fun conversation to have. So let's start off with the pitching. Uh, Red Sox are currently second to last in all of baseball in high leverage situations with a 12.42 ERA. Uh, second only to the Arizona Diamondbacks in this regard. So, um, Matt, what, maybe you can talk about kind of what goes into 
um, measuring these high leverage situations and then what this really means for the team? Well, I think um, I'm not sure what uh, what goes into measuring it, to be honest with you. Um, but as far well, I, I should point out also that um, the the uh, you know the range of ERAs you, you mentioned uh, the Red Sox have a, a 12.43 ERA in high leverage situations, which sounds absolutely abysmal and is um, sure. the the team that is the best in baseball in, in this category is the Cubs and they have a 6.53 ERA. Right. Uh, so so you, it's, it's you you've got men on base in these situations. You've got all sorts of things going on. So it's not at all surprising that all clubs would perform poorly in these situations. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, that said, I, I think, um, I think this goes to a couple things. This goes to the problems the Red Sox have had in the bullpen. Um, you know, the, the people calling for John Farrell's head every time he leaves a pitcher out there, one or two batters too long. Um, this speaks to that a little bit. I think this is a, there's a little bit of credence to that argument, um, based, based on this. Um, and you know, uh, there's also the counter argument, which is, well, those guys have to just pitch better. All right. right. You know, um, and you know, they're major leaguers and, and at some point you, you have to step up and, and get the job done. Um, then it's not all John Farrell's fault. So I, you know, I, I think there's something to that argument as well. I mean, uh, you know, we, we've seen uh, we've seen pitchers cruising along into the eighth inning, um, and you know, David Price has done it. I want to say a couple times where he, you know, he goes along to the eighth and then just comes apart in a series of like six or nine pitches. Um, you know, walk, double, home run, double. Whoa, there you go, game over. You know. Yeah. We saw that a bunch from Price in the first half, and we saw that from Clay Buchholz and Eddie Rodriguez every time they pitched. It seemed like in the first half as well. So it was right. it was a a team wide disease that was not shared by just Stephen Wright at that point, and now he has it. So um, uh, it's been really sorry. bad. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, and and the uh, the other thing I would say about this is I'm not sure it's indicative of talent. Um, so I don't necessarily think, you know, like, like we were talking about with the one run games thing, mm. I don't think this is some uh, irredeemable character flaw in the Red Sox. Um, last year, the Red Sox had um, a similar team, right? More or less. Yeah. A, a little different for sure, but, but, uh, but a similar, similar roster. Um, and they had an 821 ERA in these situations which was eighth in baseball. Um, so uh, I'm not sure that they did anything to make themselves, uh, uh, you know, in, into the worst in, in, in baseball by adding David Price, by adding Pomerantz. By, I mean, I think, I think sometimes these things just kind of happen. Um, I wonder what the correlation is between this stat and bullpen ERA, how strong that maybe that R squared value would be if you were to kind of measure these guys. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, the problem also with bullpen ERA is a lot of times, like we've seen it with Matt Barnes, he comes in and, well, not as much recently, but over the course of the year, you know, we've we've heard how Matt Barnes is great at um, not 
not allowing inherited runners to score. Ha, I was there on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, so I, I don't necessarily think, uh, you know, and at the same time, Matt Barnes has like a four or something ERA. So I, yeah. I don't think that there's necessarily anything, uh, to that. I think over a long period of time, good relievers are going to get more guys out and give up less hard contact. Um, and fewer inherited runners will score. Um, but on a small sample size, which is, I think, the, the theme of this podcast so far, um, you know, almost any number of different things can happen. Um, and I tend to think that this is along the lines of, of that kind of thing. Um, I mean, oh, go ahead. I, I do think that this um, indictment of the team in high leverage situations, though, is certainly something that people who follow the team on a day-to-day basis and have watched the team uh, throughout the year to, you know, a lot of frustration um, can finally point to and say, like, ha, I knew this was happening more than it should be. Because uh, yeah, despite absolutely. the team having, like, a really good season, there have been so many situations that you can point to over the course of the year where, um, you know, they were maybe one pitch away from getting out of the inning or one batter away from leaving the three runners on base instead of having them score. And um, in all of these situations, it seems like, or in a lot of them, there has been the game on the line. This hasn't been blowout-type situations where we've seen this happening. It's been in really close context uh, contests. And I think that um, this stat is so good because it does measure the leverage of these situations, and it does measure... Um, the win probability added had things gone the opposite way in these situations. So what this does to me is it shows that the Red Sox have been dealing with a lot of these things and whether or not that's more indicative of true talent level of the pitchers or whether it's small sample size bad luck in a lot of these situations, regardless of what the, the culprit is there, it has been happening in this does prove that to us, which is, I think, something in its in its in itself. You know, that's that's something to talk about there. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, I, I think if you've watched a lot of the Red Sox games this year, you know, they definitely, you know, have the feel of an unclutch team, and they've they've come up, um, you know, on the wrong side of, of a lot of those sort of situations where, you know, Ortiz comes up with a guy a third uh, and two outs in the ninth and pops out. I mean, that's not not to pick on Ortiz, um, although he does come up as one of the most unclutched player uh, hitters on the team, <laughs> shockingly enough. Um, but uh, but there have been, it, it seems, uh, an awful lot of those. And and I I really can't recall very many like game winning hits. I think they. I think the Red Sox have like two this year. Um, it's 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 been an incredibly infrequent event, uh, especially you know over the last couple months. Um, so, uh, but I, I think as far as you know, if you're looking at playoff matchups, if you're looking at how the teams uh, you know match up in the AL East going into the September uh, run to see if we make the playoffs. Um, I think looking at something, you know, as far as pitchers go, like like DRA, you know, uh, is a much better indicator of, um, you know, where 
the quality of, of, of the team is than uh, you know than looking at something like clutch. I I would I would much rather play you know the Texas Rangers who have been incredibly clutch this year uh, than I would the Toronto Blue Jays who have actually been more unclutched than the Red Sox. Um, so and maybe you maybe you would disagree with that, and I think that's that's totally fine. There can be a, um, a discussion about that, but but I think I would rather. Uh, I would rather take a chance against the team that is not as good. Um, and uh, So I, I actually agree with you, Matt. I would also rather play the teams that have uh, the, the better clutch records than teams that have the better Pythagorean records because when you do look at it, you know, the Red Sox have one of the better Pythagorean records in the league right now at 81-56, the expected record where – uh, a team like Texas, who's been notoriously clutch, like you mentioned, their record's only 71 and 67 in such situations. So I do agree that that's a better metric of how much talent the team has um, than their performance in these one-run games. But uh, still very interesting about the uh, the high-leverage situations there. I wanted to talk about where the Red Sox actually factor in, though, in, in hitting as well. Um, there are... Uh, they're, they're second to last in the league in um, clutch hitting. Or, I'm sorry, they're 23rd in the league in clutch hitting as well uh, at, at three, negative uh, 3.63 uh, as a whole, um, which I thought was interesting considering how good the offense has been this year. But there have been a few players on the team when we break this down by individual that have not been performing very well in the clutch. And two of these guys that I'll talk about right off the bat are Mookie Betts and David Ortiz, which in these high leverage situations have rated as um, poor or below average uh, players uh, so far this season in those situations, which I I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, I mean, I don't know what you say about it. I, I would think that, um, you know, given uh, enough uh, chances, David Ortiz is going to come through more times than not. Uh, You know, we've certainly seen that throughout his career, and he's been such an excellent player this year that uh, it seems – I mean, put it this way. uh, You know that David Ortiz has been the the second – second worst? No, there's another page here. Uh, yep, Jackie Bradley has been the worst, um, and somehow that's not surprising. Uh, the third, the third worst in clutch situations uh, this this season, David Ortiz. Um, so I'll give you uh, the choice, uh, Jake. So the Red Sox are down two to one. There's a runner at second, two outs in the ninth. You can have um, Ryan Hannigan, who is the the third uh, most clutch. Um, player uh on the, on the Red Sox this year or you can have David Ortiz who is the third least yeah that's that's that is not even a question obviously we're going to go with uh with David Ortiz there in that situation yeah. right. um the, I just thought it was kind of interesting where some of these players ended up so far this year and I think there's a there's a lot of that that is small sample size so Dustin Pedroia and Xander Bogarts are two of the most clutch players on the team um, but nobody really falls way, way outside of the norms here. Everybody on the team, aside from Sandy Leone and Jackie Bradley, 
fall within one point of what is essentially average, what what is essentially normal for a clutch right. player. So right. there, there have been most of the guys, in, including David Ortiz at the at the near the bottom of this list and Dustin Pedroia at the top, have been mostly within range of average. Uh, Sandy Leon has been slightly worse at negative 1.11, but Jackie Bradley Jr. has completely broken the scale here. Um, anything below negative point uh, negative 2.0 or more uh, is considered awful by this standard. Uh, Jackie Bradley comes in at 2.29, uh, which is just stunningly bad, and he has been absolutely pathetic. Um, in these types of clutch situations. We saw it again yesterday. Anytime it seems like that he gets up in an important situation, uh, men on base, men in scoring position, uh, one out, all he has to do is lift the ball or like not strike out. Um, he does the, the most awful thing that he can do in that situation, whether it's striking out or hitting into a double play. Um, I'm not sure why the bat is still in his hands with these situations, especially late in games, there were some people clamoring as to why he was even up in that situation yesterday and why that the guy replaced was Yohan Moncada instead of him. We can argue that point till we're blue in the face, but Jackie Bradley seems to be notoriously unclutch, uh, and it's not just something that we're seeing. It's it's a real thing this year. He's certainly failed in a lot of important situations, but again, I would say... Uh, I don't necessarily think that that is indicative of who he is as a player. Um, you know, these things kind of bounce around and, um, you know, no one would call David Ortiz unclutch except that he actually has been this year. Um, so um, on the whole, you know, Jackie Bradley is right now he's hitting 272 with a 350 on base percentage and he's slugging 495. Um you know, he's a he's a streaky hitter. Maybe these things have come up, uh, you know, kind of at the wrong time for him when he's been slumping. I mean, they're kind of randomly sprinkled throughout. Um, I mean, we, we see that kind of thing with scheduling, too, right? Like where the Red Sox end up playing a team right when they're hot, like they kind of did with the Royals. Uh, if they played the Royals like two months before they played them, they probably would have run over them with a, you know, with a steam shovel or whatever. But um, but they didn't. They played them. Uh, you know, whatever it was like three weeks ago, two weeks ago when, you know, when the Royals were, were really going, they were hitting really well. Guys who hadn't been hitting all year were all of a sudden hitting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's real easy to come down on somebody, uh, you know, like, like Bradley in this situation. And, you know, we can use this, this stat to, to go, okay, this is what has happened, but I don't think you can necessarily use it to say, this is what is going to happen. Well, I'm glad that's true because, um, and I and I do agree to to some extent, and it's certainly not indicative of what will happen in the playoffs because I just uh, expanded this clutch stat to all the way back to 2010, and mm -hmm. from that time period, uh, David Ortiz ranks last on the Red Sox, uh, number 61 out of all of the players that qualified for this list, with a clutch rating of negative 3.79. And we know that he has batted about 5,000 in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah. um, Although that's probably a um, – I mean, that's all regular season numbers, what you're talking about, right? Yes, yeah, he, he, he is an unclutch guy in the regular season. That is yeah. – uh, Well, that's always been the problem with David Ortiz. He just doesn't get it done when you uh, – <laughs> when the game's on the line. Yeah. 
Um, I, I'm frankly, I'm going to be glad to see him leave. I think it's about time, you know. Oh yeah, he's just been a really, real blight on this club for a long time. So bargain yeah. pieces and the whole thing. Anyway, so yeah, we've just done a really good job of uh, exploding our entire argument into uh, bits and pieces with just that one stat there. So right. now, now I feel particularly silly. But e- either way, maybe Poppy has really been an unclutch regular season performer. Uh, certainly been the most clutch player pretty much of all time in the postseason, though, so I don't care at all about that. Yeah, I was gonna say you'll take take what uh, take what the what what you got there. That's that's a that's a hand you can play. Yep, exactly. So let's move on from this. Uh, we've we've talked about all this at at length. Uh, very interesting stuff there, and I urge everybody who's listening who did enjoy that conversation to go ahead and check out some of those clutch and unclutch stats because they are kind of fun to play with and i just for the record i wrote about them at bp boston um on friday i wrote about the the pitching staff um and uh i think a couple of weeks before that i wrote about the red sox hitting um and uh and how that how you know sort of clutch and unclutch they've they've been um so you can you can check those out at our website there as well yeah, and they are uh, really good articles, so I would definitely urge you to check them. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Well, I like them. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the Red Sox did make a few uh, September call-ups. Uh, the most interesting one uh, by far was calling up Yohan Mankata, who if you listened to the show last week, uh, I spoke with Matt Collins about at length. Uh, I was of the mind that the Red Sox should and probably would call him up to play third base because – uh, of how punchless that position has been with Travis Shaw being uh, really performing well below replacement levels during the second half. Um, so they did go ahead and call up Moncada uh, to provide a little bit of a boost there, and it is he who is going to be getting majority of the starts at third base for the remainder of the season. Uh, Shaw has been told this and is now preparing to play some left field. Um, so a little bit interesting there. I, I think... The Red Sox certainly prefer keeping Holt out of left field as much as they can to use him in that more utility role. Um, so not a bad thing for um, the Red Sox to have Shop performing or preparing to uh, be able to perform in left field to give them a little bit more flexibility there. But Moncada does add a, a nice little element to the team. He um, started off pretty hot. I'm not sure exactly what his average is right now, but he was like 4 for 10 to start uh, his career um, had a rough day yesterday, definitely has been exposed a little bit against breaking pitches, which I think we know is going to happen and was replaced versus the lefty by uh, Aaron Hill later in the game. He's going to be the platoon mate for him. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I really do like the move, though. I think it was the right thing to do. And even if uh, he is exposed a little bit, he's going to add a, a few more dynamic elements to the team. What did you think about the uh, promotion? So... It's uh, it's hard to divorce the the idea of it from you know what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I would say I I like that they've called him up. I think he has a, a role on the team, um, and I think, but more importantly, I think I think it'll be good for him to be with the major league club, um, you know, for the remainder of the year. Um, I don't think he starts the year in the majors next year. Um, I think he's probably, uh, you know, in triple a, um, to start the season. Um, and, and maybe for a lot of the season, depending on how that goes. Um, so I, I think that 
I, I like him coming up. I don't really like them handing him the third base job as they've done. Um, you know, he he's obviously an incredibly talented guy. Um, he's big. He's strong. He's really fast. Um, he is also incredibly new to third base. I mean, he's played it very, very little frequently. He did play it in his uh, career in Cuba, though. Yes, he did. Um, he did, which at this point is like four years ago. Um, and he played it, uh, what, I don't know, six games? I, I think it was under 10 games um, in in uh, in double-A right. before they called him up. Um, now, you know, he's obviously a tremendously physically skilled guy, uh, and so – I have no doubt long term that he'll be able to, uh, you know, to play third base. Um, but this is a pennant race, and the Red Sox are a game out of first place. Um, but who would you rather than play there? I mean, can you continue to run out Shaw? That was my problem. That was my argument last week. Was this guy has been performing pretty much as bad as a as a player is allowed to perform without being benched. Um, batting like 150 or, or below. Yeah. I mean, even if Moncada does come up and have spells where he's not performing, he he literally can't be worse than Travis Shaw is or has been. So I, yeah, I don't I don't love Shaw. That's that is true. Uh, you know, he's he's been incredibly uh, streaky, which is uh, you know probably less than ideal. Um, you know, his defense is. Uh, Maybe a little better than iffy. It's um, fundamentally sound, but he can't range to certain plays. There's just plays that he can't make that Moncada can make because of that his athleticism. That's true. There's also, um, I mean, the problem with Moncada in, um, you know, both at second and at third base in Double A has been his propensity to make errors. He's made a lot of errors, and we've already seen that uh, at the major league level. Yep, he uh, made his first yep. one two days ago. Yep, uh, and so. I, I think I'd rather stick with – now, I, I'm not saying don't ever play him, but I, I think on the whole I'd rather stick with um, with Shaw at third. Um, he's, he's steadier. Um, now, th- the other thing about this is, you know, the Red Sox are, uh, you know, hopefully taking into account things like, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. How mm-hmm. is – how is Shaw, you know, working, uh, you know, with the hitting coaches? What the hitting coaches think of his approach, um, you know, the way that they're uh, they're grading him from a scouting perspective. Um, maybe he's got some sort of lingering injury. Although if they're trying to play him in left field, I probably doubt that. But um, but there's other things that go into it besides just looking at the numbers. This is the point. Um, that said, I I don't love bringing up a guy who is uh, obviously raw and inexperienced at the position. Um, who's incredibly young, uh, and putting him as the starter at third base um, in the stretch run of a pennant race. I think you're you're asking for failure, um, and you know we've seen um, guys like Benintendi come up and not be phased by the bright lights at all. Um, but I I have to think that that is abnormal, especially coming up from Double A. That's you know, you're just asking so much of a young guy in that situation, and it's I, it, I think it's really, really tough. And we, we talk about uh, you know teams putting their their players in the best position to succeed. 
um, you know, we were going to talk about Ziegler and the way that he, um, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, he, he doesn't, um, he, he gets, I, I, is he a, he's righty? He's a right-hander, right? Yep, Ziegler's yeah. a righty. Yeah, so he's, his trouble is getting lefties out. Right. Um, and, and throughout his career, that's been a problem because of the way he pitches. I mean, this is kind of like, um, you know, Justin Masterson all over again in that sense. Um, you know, when you come around the side like that, that's just sort of the way things go because on the other side, you get this really good look at the ball. Um, and so, you know, it's incumbent on John Farrell to minimize the number of uh, lefties that Ziegler sees. Now, he's going to see some, but you don't want it to be the majority or anywhere close to it. Um, a smart manager is going to, you know, give his, you know, put his players in a position to to get the outs. Um, and I think the same idea applies here. Um, you know, Mancada, he he could uh, he could be amazing uh, right now immediately. But what we've seen so far has certainly not been amazing. Um, he struck out over forty percent of the time. He was picked off the other day at first base. He doesn't hit the ball in the air at all, really. Um, he's made uh, made errors at third base. Um, and that's not to say that he's going to continue to do that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Would you? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to have, you know, an occasional error or a base running blunder. But I would be surprised very much so if what he gives you offensively as a whole is not better than what you've been getting from Travis Shaw over the last two months. And I think what you also need to look at here is what this allows the Red Sox to do is not only platoon Moncada with Hill, with Moncada going against righties and, and Hill going against lefties there to protect him against that weakness and still give him reps almost every single day. This also allows Shaw to move out to the outfield and platoon him with uh, Chris Young, who's just a lefty masher. And Shaw, even despite all the troubles he's had, um, has been pretty decent against right-handed pitching, batting 266 against them on the season. Wait, 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 wait. You, you can't say Shaw's good against righties and he should be playing in left field, but that he's no good and he's shouldn't be playing at third base. What I'm saying is this gives you two platoon situations that you can now play guys a little bit less than you normally would going down the stretch. And I, I just don't know. I don't know what exactly you're worried about, about Moncada that you wouldn't be worried about with Shaw in that situation. You say you're worried about him out there, but how can it be worse than what we're getting? Uh, well, we've seen we've seen Travis Shaw be a, a, a good major league hitter, right. and I'm not I'm not putting money down on the fact that he's going to be an all star going forward, but we have seen it happen. Um, you know, we've we've never seen Yon Moncada be a good major league hitter. Um, we have seen Yon Moncada be a very impressive Double A player, with still even that said with holes in his game both defensively and offensively. Um, and, you know, people compare him to Benintendi. Benintendi didn't have any holes in this game in double-A. I mean, he had none. Right. He got a but base he said, hit for power, he hit for average, he fielded the ball well both in left field and in center. Um, 
you know, he was smart on the bases, that there was nothing left for him to learn in, in a double A and, and not really in the minors. Uh, so I think it was a reasonable thing to, to, to be aggressive and pull him up like that. And I really like that move. And this is not that. This is something different. Now I recognize there, you know, there's a hole on the, on the team based on uh, Shaw's, you know, production. Um, but again, I don't know that you can look at what Shaw's done over the last month and go, he's going to do that um, guaranteed over the next month. Um, and I even, I, I guess I would say this, even if you could tell me, okay, Shaw's going to hit 210, 280, 390 over the next, uh, you know, whatever it is, 30 games that are left. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I would still start him the whole time. Um, so my, my, my problem with that is that when we were talking about this, you said yourself there's at least a possibility that Moncada can come up and be awesome right away because he did yes, show that when he came up right. from Salem and he came up to Portland. He was awesome right yep. away, yep. and that's a huge jump in its own right. I don't think that you can honestly say that there's any possibility and certainly not more possibility – that Travis Shaw is awesome from here on out than there is with Yohan Moncada. And I think that potential alone is why Farrell decided to make the move. But here's the thing, and, and I, I agree that's why he did. Um, I, think it's, I think it's an indictment of Shaw more than it is anything else. Uh, I, I, I think the Red Sox don't think Shaw is going to be hitting anymore. And so that's, you know, that's certainly a more legitimate opinion than mine. Uh, but you asked for my opinion, so I'm giving you mine. Sure. Um, I would say that the reason I would play Shaw uh, most of the time, and again, not all the time, is found in looking at the Red Sox lineup. Um, the Red Sox have scored the most runs in baseball. They have an incredibly deep lineup. They can have a guy who is, you know, a subcompetent major league uh, hitter um, who has maybe a higher floor than a. Uh, a flashy double a prospect right you you mm. can afford to um I'm to not play sure. Travis Shaw when you've got you know Bogarts and Betts and Ramirez and Bradley and Ortiz and Pedroia um but I don't know that he has a higher floor anymore okay well he's batted I, 202 in the second half no I know I know he has I know it's been but he also uh batted much better than that in the first half Right. right. I mean, um, so, you know, again, that's in the second half, he hit, he's at 203, 277, 407. Um, that's a fine slugging percentage. It's a bad on base percentage. Um, I would, again, I, I think I would probably say that, you know, what you could expect from Shaw over the next month is probably better than that, but not a lot better. Um, but I think the downside, uh, of playing Moncada um, is is much higher. I think you're you know you're putting him in a position where he he can make a lot of mental mistakes. Um, he can uh, you know scar himself <laughs> you know in a way that that uh, that prospects uh, can. Um, right. And I think I think going I think that the chances of of him being uh, worse and view damaging one of your, uh, you know, long-term assets, um, are, uh, you know, exist where, where it doesn't exist with, 
playing Travis Shaw, who is going to give you, you know, probably a, kind of a crappy but workmanlike performance, and you can stick him in the back of the lineup and pinch hit for him at the end of the end of the game, and it's not it's not going to crush you because your your lineup is so strong. See, I just don't buy that there's any there's any potential about damaging Moncada here. We don't. First of all, like we don't know what his makeup is. Like maybe he's the type of guy that can go up and handle this. He seemed extremely focused throughout the short time that he's been here with the team. And then the other thing is, right now, I mean, seasons are winding down in the minor leagues. This right. is giving him more reps to help him prepare for oh, yeah. next year like, and like to expose him initially to, yeah, to his pitching. So would we rather have him called up and sitting on the bench and playing like once every six days or yes. rather see him actually getting reps? And I would rather see him actually getting reps. Well, so I, you know, I don't give a crap about him getting reps at this point. Um, I, I care about this team winning baseball games. And I, I think that's where the Red Sox priorities need to be. I mean, you, you, you're right. The minor league season is, is, Wrapping up almost done. Um, you know, he's, he's had a full season out of it. He's probably going to play in the Arizona Fall League. Um, and he'll get even more reps there. Um, calling him up was, I, I agree, I think the right thing to do. Um, it's good to have him around the Major League team. It's good to, you know, have him uh, hang out with David Ortiz as much as possible. Um, I think it can only help him long term. It can only help the team long term. My issue is uh, handing him the third base job when he doesn't appear to be ready. Um, both, and I say he doesn't appear to be based on uh, scouting reports uh, from his time in Double A as well as what I've seen um, in you know in the majors. Uh, but again, you know the Red Sox presumably have taken all that into account and have a uh, hopefully uh, aren't making a, a panicky move based on. Uh, you know, a, a couple months of, of lousy Travis Shaw. Um, so um, well, this we'll, see. Sparked, we'll see what happens. It sparked a good unexpected debate, that's for sure. This was one of the most innocuous topics that I think I put on here, <laughs> and it, it sparked a good 20-minute debate. Gonna, so, uh, Going to love love having Mankata called up. Yeah, I you know, I thought you were going to go along with it. But I'm happy to uh, – I'm happy that we got both sides of that because I think that there there certainly is an argument to be made for both sides and um, we we spelled that out here uh, for for a long time so that's good. Yeah, yeah I, I love watching him. I mean, yeah. if if this team were out of it, um, heck yeah, give him the starting third base job. I I'd be all for it. Um, but you know, they're a game out of first place and the Blue Jays keep losing. I mean, they they've got to, you know, they've they've got to take advantage of their opportunities, and it's going to be hard when you know Moncada's getting picked off first base and overthrowing a first base or letting a ball go through his legs at third because he's just not experienced there. So anyway, I we've all we've all made these points, and you've tried to wrap up, and I went back to it, so I apologize. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. When he hits 250 and doesn't expose himself on the base paths, uh, and the Red Sox win the division. I'll accept your apology. Oh uh, man, you'll get you'll get it. I will I will be very happy. I hope that's what happens. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's touch on a few extra things here before we go ahead and wrap up because we are starting to run long. Uh, I wanted to talk about one thing that was perplexing with the pen use again. Uh, no Brad Ziegler last night in the eighth inning. Uh, they had double barrel action in the bullpen warming up. It was Matt Barnes 
and Joe Kelly. Uh, Joe Kelly got the nod instead of Brad Ziegler there, who wasn't even a consideration, even though he was presumably available. Kelly did come on to pitch a great eighth and looked awesome, but my question is here, uh, why is there no use of Ziegler here still in these key situations? Because by a lot of the metrics out there, and really just by past performance and skill level and all that stuff, Ziegler is your second best reliever on this team. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why he's not getting used very much. And I know he had the flu, but that that's over. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to look up uh, the, the batters in... Um, so Sard- Sardinus was leaving, leading off the eighth, and he's a switch hitter. Uh, I don't know if he's better from one side or the other. I'm not getting that deep into it. Um, Will Myers, who is uh, probably the Padres' best hitter, was next. Um, and then, uh, Solarte, who, um, has had a kind of a, a good season, sort of shockingly. Isn't he a um, switch hitter too? He's a switch hitter too. So I think if you're putting Ziegler in, you're asking him to get, uh, two lefties out. Um, and so that's my guess as to why, uh, they didn't. But um, you're also warming two other righties. So, Yes, potentially uh, not with the same platoon split issues as Ziegler. I mean, Ziegler obviously is is a really a really good um, you know pitcher against righties, uh, not so good against lefties, um, as we've seen. Um, let's see, where is it here? Uh, this then yeah. just plays into again the, the the team with no roles in the back of their bullpen, though, because I I see that that the platoon thing might be an issue, but there certainly is a whole lot to the fact that teams that team seem to have successful bullpens have bullpen arms that know that they own particular innings. Yeah. And that continues not to be a theme on the Red Sox. No, that's true. And, and what I would say is installing Ziegler as the eighth inning guy is, would be a move of desperation, not, uh, not one that you would look at the numbers uh, look at look at the you know the way the, the pitches are thrown. Look at the you know watch the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I wouldn't put those two things together and go Brad Ziegler should be the left the you know the uh, the eighth inning guy for the Red Sox. Um, I think the problem with the Red Sox has been you know bullpen has has been injuries. Um, those maybe were predictable on some level, um, and you know they just haven't had the performance from those other guys um, behind those injured guys to step up and you know. Uh, and, and pitch as well as the team is needed. Um, but if you look at, at Ziegler this year um, against left-handers, he is a K, uh, a K9 of 518 and a, a walk 9 of 555. Um, he's walking more lefties than he is striking out. Right. Um, Certainly and, a bad performance so far this season. It's really bad. Yeah. And if, but if you look at how he's done against righties – uh, and not that these are the best stats. These just happen to be the ones that are right in front of me, so forgive me for that. But um, he's striking out over nine guys uh, per uh, per game uh, versus righties and under two walks per nine um, against righties. So it, it's a much, much different um, – he's a much different pitcher against right-handers. And um, you, you really don't want him to be facing lefties and bringing him into – a situation where he's going to hit 
uh, we kind of pitch against two left-handed batters out of three. And I didn't even look who's who's coming after uh, Solarte. I don't know. Um, but it, it doesn't even make a difference. Uh, putting him there in, in that situation, I think, is asking for failure. Um, and I think if you if you do that, you're um, you're potentially turning a you know a two to one game into uh, you know a three to one or four to one game. That's a fair argument. I think the counter argument there, though, is that those two potential left-handed guys are Sardinas and Solarte. They're not Will Myers, who's the the guy that you're really worried about hurting you in those situations. And I know Solarte's had himself a decent little season, but we're not talking about you know Babe Ruth here going no, up against you. So. Uh, although I would say that the guy who hit the two-run homer is Adam Rosales, who kind of sucks. So um, you know you can you can be hurt. Um, in, in, in that situation. Sure. Um, Any guy in the major leagues can hurt you yeah. in that situation. So, yeah. Uh, and the, the other, the other part of this, I think is not, not to belabor this point, but it is, um, that I think the Red Sox are searching, uh, for somebody to step up and be that eighth inning guy. Um, and so I think that's why you saw Joe Kelly. Um, you know, Kelly, you spent a lot of time in the minors this year, um, some of it has been good. Um, some of it has not been, but uh, there's been some uh, scouting talk about how he's done something different with his fastball, and uh, he's got a little more movement on it now. And he's that's been all- pitching it up in the zone a lot more, which is, uh, and he did last night as well. I certainly right. noticed that, and it's it looked very effective. He got two strikeouts on that, so um, we'll see how that develops. But yeah, I. I I think it's a good thing that we saw him again post this resurgence that he had in Pawtucket. It's still going to be difficult to trust him unless we see this happen about 10 more times. Well, and, and that's exactly what I think the Red Sox are going to try to do. I mean, yeah. I think you're going to, you're going to start to see Joe Kelly um, inserted into game situations like that. They're going to give him a chance to succeed in those situations um, because nobody else really has. Well, um, liquor sales in New England just went up in the late innings, so... <laughs> that'll it's, be that'll be a lot of fun it's been a, a garbage pail for the you know for the bullpen this year uh they uh even even uh even the closer i i just i don't know about you but i i see kimbrell come in and i i just i get a lump in my throat you yeah know? i don't feel good about it i uh, i gotta he, say for for how effective he's been i don't feel good about it a lot of times and this this goes back to you know sort of the problem with with trading for relievers and giving relievers long-term contracts. There's just so few relievers who are really worth that. Even the guys who are completely dominant one year are just, are just not. Uh, I know, I know you hate that trade map, but we, we cannot spend any time on that today. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> I hate that trade. Done. I know you really hate that trade. A um, couple more things to close out. Uh, we are having Koji Uihara activated. He was activated two days ago. Uh, as you listen to this, um, he will be pitched in low leverage situations before he sees any sort of uh, impact in the later innings. I think this can only be a good thing for the pen. Um, Heath Embry also going to be a factor in the pen uh, as the season wraps up. He's very good against right-handers, so I'm happy to see that. Can I make a quick comment on Koji? Yes. Nope. That's, that's not the one I wanted to make. It's supposed uh, to be clapping. Oh, I've got a little sound effects thing here. Interesting. I think it's broken. No, it's broken. All right, whatever. Done. Well, uh, we've, yay, we've gotten some innocuous noise from Matt <laughs> about about Iwihara, so I, yay, I, I'm happy Koji's back. 
Okay. Yeah, me too. He's gives great high fives. Um, Stephen Wright still dealing with some soreness, so Buckholtz gets the start tonight. Uh, I feel good about this, and I'm not sure why, but Buckholtz has been pitching pretty well. Uh, he faces off against Clemens in the second game of this series at San Diego. Uh, not the good Clemens. This Clemens is particularly bad. Um, then we have David Price versus Jared Cosart. Um, two pitching advantages for the Red Sox there. They get an off day as they travel back uh, to the East Coast where they will face against uh, Toronto, presumably uh, for for the lead in the division there. Um, where we will see uh, Porcello versus Estrada, Eddie versus J.A. Happ, uh, Drew Pomerantz versus R.A. Dickey. Uh, three matchups that I think the Red Sox have a pretty good shot at, and uh, this is going to be some pretty pretty good baseball over the next week. Yeah, it should be uh, it should be exciting. The uh, you know the Jays are, I think. If it's not the Red Sox, I think the Blue Jays are the best team in the American League. I think you could make an argument for the Red Sox. Um, but I think uh, as far as all the teams they'll be playing down the stretch, people have been saying it's going to be really tough. And I think it will be tough. I think primarily it'll be really tough because they'll be on the road a lot. Um, but they're going to they're gonna face off against the Blue Jays six times. Uh, yeah, they close the season close against the season. Blue Jays at home as well. Right. Okay. Um, and, uh, I think those are going to be, those are going to be huge games. Definitely. Um, R.A. Dickey's looked really hittable. I think he got beat up yesterday. Um, not actually, you know, but, uh, which is good. Um, but he gave up a lot of hits and runs, <laughs> which is also good. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Blue Jays, uh, you know, starters who have, maybe overperformed a little bit, you know, Hap and uh, um, Estrada have, have not looked nearly as good recently. Um, and so I feel like we could be, we could be catching the Blue Jays at, at sort of the proverbial good time. Um, it does seem that way. And Jose Bautista has not been quite himself either. No, he hasn't. Um, so I, I think this is, and you know, they've lost a, a, a number of games recently They're They've not, you know, the Red Sox have certainly haven't been dominant either. Um, other other than against you know those two games against the A's, um, <laughs> winning sixteen to two, eleven to two, and then losing one to nothing in a game where you had the, oh my god. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, so those are going to be uh, you know kind of playoff games, um, and um, I'm really excited to to see them. And I think the Red Sox have a have a good shot in those, and, and this would be a, a good time for the Red Sox to kind of get out of there. Uh, you know, unclutchy kind of uh, <laughs> rut that they've been in most of the season. It'd be nice to get some some clutch hits and and uh, and and some clutch pitching and and win some ball games there. Yeah, it really would. Uh, and this would this will wrap up uh, their time on the road, and then they come back home for a four game set against Baltimore. So this is uh, certainly three against, three against Baltimore. Three three against four against the Yankees. Yep. So a very important time for them to do well. Um, I don't see a single matchup here where I feel like the Red Sox have a disadvantage. So I think that's a good thing from the pitching side. And hopefully the uh, the back end of the bullpen can at least hold up uh, some of their side of the bargain here. So um, that's that pretty much does it for our show today. So you can go ahead and uh, follow us on iTunes if you would like to subscribe. Uh, you can do that there. You can also subscribe to us on uh, Stitcher. And you can rate it and rate and review us on both places. 
again, if you have any questions that uh, you'd like to appear on the show, uh, you can submit those to us via a question box on um, bpboston.com. Just click on any of our podcasts. You'll find that there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at DevJake, and you can follow Matt on Twitter at, at MattyMatty2000. And hopefully by the time we're back with you next, the Red Sox will have finally uh, rested control of that number one spot in the division. So here's to that, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jake. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you about the playoffs next time I'm on. All right. Sounds good.